I do want to welcome everybody that is watching online or listening by podcast and all of you that are here. Today, I'm going to talk about what I would probably consider one of the uh, most unpopular or least practiced spiritual discipline in the church today, which is fasting. Yes, yes. Today is the day that you actually hear about fasting from me. Uh, It's not something that I have taught on a lot. We do fast a lot. In fact, we have a fast coming up that will be our 19th fast as a church. Our church is in its 10th year, so we had nine years where we fasted two times a year. We're in our spring fast. will be coming up in two weeks. Now, what I don't want you to do is just tune me out because I'm talking about fasting. In fact, I believe that what I'm going to tell you today is going to really impact your life personally, and it's going to be very relevant and hopefully inspire you to live a lifestyle of fasting and to join us in our corporate fast, which will be coming up in a couple of weeks, all right? We're going to start off by reading Isaiah chapter 58, which is the Lord's chosen fast. What does the Lord delight in when it comes to fasting and all the many great reasons of why we should and should not be fasting, all right? So we're going to read these, and then we're going to pray, and we'll break it down. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 1, cry aloud, shout with a deep-throated shout to the Lord, and spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you haven't seen Why have we afflicted our souls? And yet, Lord, you don't take notice. In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist the wickedness. You will not feast, you will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out. When you see the naked, that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your mist, the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light will dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought 
and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. The next few verses talk about the Sabbath, which we will tackle at another time. I'll talk a little bit more about it in just a moment, but let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much that Rock City Church is a new wineskin, and you're continuously making us new wineskins to contain and sustain what you want to pour out in us and through us. Thank you, Lord God, for inspiring us and challenging us to be more disciplined and to pursue you and to deal with the hidden issues of our heart, not to just focus on external outcomes and how we look, act, and what others think, Lord, that we would focus on the issues of our heart, that we would rend our heart, God, and not our garment. As we proclaim this fast, as we join with others fasting, millions of people all over the world, as we join with them, God, I thank you that you're doing something beautiful in our midst. Make us new, heal our bodies, heal our minds, heal our hearts. Make us one. And I thank you, Jesus, that you call us deeper and further and you never leave us the same. In your name we pray, amen. We're gonna break this first 12 verses down today. I'd encourage you to take notes, come back and listen to this message. We're gonna start out back to verse one, let out a shout and lift your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. These first three verses cover all the reasons why God does not take notice of our fasting or afflicting our souls. Even though you would think in the natural that we're doing all the right things and God should notice. But I want to start out in this verse with this understanding that we must not be afraid of being measured. If you love me and you care about me, if you respect me, then correct me. If I get sideways, correct me. If I teach something erroneous, correct me. Because fathers and mothers are restrainers. But the problem is, we don't like it when somebody tells us when we're not living right. We don't like it when somebody tells us the issues of our own heart. Maybe it's because you already know them, or maybe shame and fear and worry of what other people are thinks there. But what I want to tell you, when done in perfect love with spiritual parents, you want to be measured. I need to measure my kids. If I don't restrain my children, they'll kill themselves or kill someone else. And notice it starts right, this is the whole context of the chapter when it comes to fasting, is that we must deal with the issues of our heart, and sometimes you need somebody else to tell you. We cannot live in an RC Christian world, religiously and politically correct. We have to shoot straight and not get offended. We have to stop getting our rear end so hurt when somebody comes to, and now it has to be done in love, but you have to be in positions and places where people can inspect your life. Look, we all have blind spots. And in a minute, we're gonna talk about breaking off yokes out of your life that aren't healthy. But a lot of times there's yokes that you don't even see. They're so subtle. It's religious deception. We think we're good, but we're not. That's the greatest re religious deception you can ever have. 
And we're, you're, we're yoked up to all kinds of things, fear, worry, doubt, addiction, lies about God, lies about ourselves, comparison, what other people think. And then we put on this front that God says, you have to kill the front and deal with the heart. What really amazes me about these first three verses is that if you think about it in the natural, from a man-made religious standpoint, it would seem that the Israelites were doing all the right things in their fast. And what I want to point out to you is how deceptive religious performance can be. We're going to kill some religious performance today. And if there's one thing I hate more than anything is a front facade of a fake plastic Christian, Christian that's, that's faking it till they make it and acting and knows all the right buzzwords, all the right things to say. You know how to look good. You did your Sunday morning church duty. Look, I hate that thing and you should too. I mean, think about it. I'm teaching on fasting on a Sunday morning because what I care more about is building a family and a foundation that stands the test of time. And I understand that broken, addicted, hurting, messed up, screwed up, people come here all the time during our services and listen to these messages. But we're building something to bring healing to their lives. And fasting has this supernatural way of strengthening the core of who we are because it deals with the inside more than the outside. But so many people fast for external rewards instead of an internal reward. And if you get your external reward and you're jacked up on the inside, when God brings you all the things you've been praying for and hoping for, it'll kill you. Prosperity is a double-edged sword. Your gift is a double-edged sword. Right? So let's go through the list. And as I read all these things to you today, let's own it and be honest with ourselves so that when we step into this corporate fast and any time that we fast, we fast with the right posture. Amen? You guys excited? All right, good. So number one, the Israelites were seeking God daily and being busy with worship. Now that sounds amazing to me. I teach you, we teach you seek God daily. We teach you abide. We teach you to spend time with the Lord. But even in all the worship and all the prayer meetings, all the right religious duties, you can still be far from God and your heart be far from God. They studied daily and delighted to know God's ways. They appeared to be a right-living, law-abiding, and God-loving nation that hadn't forsaken the ordinances of their God. But there was a deeper-rooted issue because it was in appearance only. Listen, I love my country. I do 100% know it was founded on Judeo-Christian principles and values. But I also know it's sinful to the core. I'm not going to pretend. We're not going to pretend we have it all together. We're gonna, and we're not going to go through the motions looking like we are God's great chosen people while on the inside we're hiding and lying and deceiving ourselves. They asked for justice and the right thing to do. I love that. There's no justice if you're not just. That's the problem. You can ask for justice all day long, but if you're asking for justice from your enemies and justice for your external rewards and life, and you don't deal with the injustice in your own heart, they took delight in approaching God and having him on their side. This sounds like, to me, all the right religious motions. This sounds like so much of the Western Americanized church. 
We do our church duties. We do all the right things. We call ourselves Christians. We read, we pray, and shoot, this is probably even more than what most people do, seeking God daily, worshiping, busy with worship, busy with prayer. But that's what the religious Pharisees, this is what you have to see about the religious Pharisees. They leaned on their tradition. They did all the right things. And when they went into the temple, they thanked God that they fasted, they tithed, they sought God daily, did all the right things. But what was going on on the inside? They were, hip, they were hypocrites. And so then it, took, it goes a step further. Thank you, God, that I'm not like him because it always leads to comparison. This is the deceptive lie of being so spiritual and fasting all the time is that you start to think that because you did all the right things, God was pleased. Now I did it. Now God's going to move on my behalf. And most people will fast with this mindset that if I do this fasting, then God will answer and do it. And that's not the way it works. We're not fasting for God. We're fasting for ourselves to deal with our hearts to become new wineskins. God wants to put new wine, Matthew 9. He says, you can't put new wine into old wineskins or they'll crack and break because the wine ferments. So here we come, we cry out, we work through all the right things, but if God puts his spirit, new wine in you, and you're still an old wineskin, both the wineskin and the wine will be wasted. But on the flip side, if the wine is preserved, if it's a new wineskin and there's new wine, both are preserved, which means they stand the test of time. All of us should be practicing a proper spiritual discipline of fasting. And our church, again, fasts twice a year. We'll have our, this will be our 19th corporate fast. We're in our 10th year of a spring fast. So nine years, twice a year, we fast every fall and spring. But we should also be fasting personally, intermittent fasting and honoring the Lord when he says, skip a meal, not just when there's crisis and an emergency. Now, the next verses, verses three through five, explain why, even though God's people seem to be doing all the right things from a religious standpoint, God wasn't listening or or accepting their fast. So let's break it down. Number one. The focus wasn't really on God, but rather on the outcome of pleasure and profit. Specifically, it says that they were exploiting and driving hard their workers while they were seeking to find pleasure for themselves. And this is the the deceptive thing about fasting. Now, I'm wondering to myself, why were they driving their workers harder while they were fasting? And I understand that many of you aren't employers or you don't have a staff of people underneath you that you manage and direct or oversee. But if you really think about this closely, what happens is, is there's this subtle deceptive thing of I'm fasting, I'm suffering, and you're not. So then in turn, we make everyone around us suffer because of your long faces and your suffering and your hardship, and you don't work and you don't do, you don't live your normal life and you afflict your soul. So I'm afflicting my soul. What happens when you're afflicting your soul is if you're unhappy through affliction, guess what you'll do? You'll afflict everybody else around you. And then now it's like your fast is so stinking miserable, I would never want to be around you. Or the last thing I want to do is fast if that's what it looks like. We drive people harder or we make other people. So there's one side of it that says, well, you're not. I'm going for reward and pleasure, so I'm going to make you work harder so I can get mine. You're going to have to catch this by the Spirit today. You're going to have to see how this applies. 
Some of you may have never fasted, you don't understand, but I'm gonna tell you, this is a religious deceptive lie. And it's not just in fasting. It can be in giving money. It can be in how much you go to church, how much you serve. You can find value in all the stuff that you do instead of who you are. You're not what you do. You do what you are. But fasting of all the disciplines, let me explain something to you. This is one, can be one of the greatest rewarding disciplines or one of the most deceptive of them all. So on one side, I could drive you harder. On the other side, I can afflict my soul so much that it's actually causing you pain. You don't want to be around. I'm not providing. I'm not working. I'm not taking care of my family. I'm self-centered in my fast, and it's afflicting everybody that's around me, and it's causing me to bring pain to other people. Then it goes on to talk about bickering and fighting with unresolved anger in our hearts. That's why we have to check ourselves before we or wreck everybody else around us because there's bitterness is a root that springs up and defiles everybody around you. So one of the things right off the bat, he says, is you're fast, you're doing all this stuff while inside you have anger and bitterness and unforgiveness towards people around you. You really wanna strike with the fist those that are wicked because fasting the deceptive lie, the religious deceptive lie is, look at how righteous I am and you're so stinking wicked. Now I want to be, I'll actually be more angry at you. And I know for some time this doesn't apply. I'll get to something that applies to you, I can assure you. Here's the next funny thing. We're still on verse three. Or I'm sorry, you're following me. You know where I'm at is showing off our humility by how we act. Long, pious faces. Now, nobody's spreading out sackcloth and covering themselves in ashes. That's what they did then. They did that as a form of humility. But here's the problem, is that the Israelites were putting on sackcloth and covering themselves with ashes to show everybody else what they were doing. They were showing off their humility. Let me show you how humble I am. It's like, oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Let me show, I'm the most humble man you've ever seen. I'm going to tell you about it. I'm going to show it to you. Look at my fasting. You see my shine? Or look at my sackcloth and my long face, whatever it is. The point is, is you don't show off your humility, that's why Jesus would say, when you're fasting, don't even tell anybody. Because it's not designed to be a public thing. It's designed to be an internal thing. Now, we fast corporately as a body for, for great purposes as a church. And for some of us, this will be the only time that you will fast. But I want to challenge you to do it more as the Spirit leads. All right? And I'm, I know together as a body, God has led us to fast. So we don't show off our humility. The Israelites were more concerned about the external and how they look than the, remember about when you pray, don't stand on the street corner and repeat, consistently repeat your prayers for everybody. Look at how spiritual I am. Look at me and my prayers. Look at us while we pray in public. He said, no, no, no. When you pray, go into the private, into the secret where your father is and pray in the secret place and what he sees in private, he'll reward and open. But that's not what they were doing. Now, that was the hard part. Here's the awesome part. 
verses six and seven shows you the fast that God does choose and accept, which leads to incredible results and outcomes. So let's break it down. Verse six, number one, loose the bands of wickedness or break every chain of injustice. It's deliverance. Now, let me just be honest with you. I'm pretty sure that there are things in my life God still wants to deal with. It would be kind of funny if I stood up and said, I've arrived. I have it all figured out. Okay? The point is, is if there's any areas of injustice or any yokes of bondage inside of my life that are there, see, we all have blind spots. What if you, were, what if you had some yokes in your life or some chains of bondage that you didn't even realize? What if you mind blocked it because it was so painful from your past, you never wanted to deal with it, so you swept it under the rug? That's a real thing. Horrible atrocities that you just, man, I never want to think about it. I never want to deal with it. We never cut the root of it, so we sweep it under the rug. But fasting has this incredible way of highlighting and revealing internal issues, if we'll be honest with ourselves. So right off the bat, it's loose the the bonds of wickedness. Undo heavy burdens. Let the oppressed go free. Let's say this. We've said it a thousand times. We're going to say it together. First, he does it in you. Then he does it through you. So notice what happens is, is that the bonds of wickedness and heavy burdens get broken so that the oppressed can go free. That's any oppression in my life or any oppression in somebody else's life. And there's demonic oppression everywhere. And I don't want demonic oppression in my life. You can't manage sin, folks. You are not strong enough to deal with sin. You have to kill it. Mortify, the Bible says. Mortification. Mortify the deeds of the flesh. Me too. Run. Run. Flee. Kill it. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it. And that's hard because we want to sin. Our flesh wants it. If I make my bed in hell, because sometimes I want to make my bed in hell. So we need to break every yoke. Notice it says break every yoke. What's a yoke? A yoke is hooked up to two oxen so they would have strength together that when they plow the ground, they're pulling, each of them are working together in tandem. Or you can get several yokes of oxen, right? six yokes of oxen. And that's a lot of power to plow a field. And Jesus said, come to me when you're weak, weary, and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the thing is, is any area of your life that you don't have rest or you have a burden or that you're tired and wore out and we all go through it, any improper yokes inside of me, God wants to break. Fasting has this incredible way of breaking the yokes. My, my spiritual father, many of our spiritual fathers, Kevin Leal, says when you lose your edge, you lose your fire. You get comfortable. You fall into the religious deception of I'm good and I'm doing all the right things. I went through all the right motions. And subtly we get hooked up. Our, we yoke up to all these unhealthy things in our life. Many of them we think are okay, but they're not. And then God says, let's say this together, others may, may. but I may not. not. 
That is the synopsis of the world we live in today. Others may, but I may not. So it breaks every false yoke. It undo, and undoes heavy burdens. Now, there was a list here of some things I want you to look at. Number one, stop exploiting. Here's the thing about pornography. It's sexual exploitation. But I'll, I'll take it to a whole nother extreme than selling drugs and influencing people in a negative way or sexual issues. I'll, I'll go to the whole other spectrum. You guys ready? Religious exploitation. I call it charismatic witchcraft. Who needs a prophecy? Show me your checkbook. Or I manipulate you. It's all about nickels and noses. Success is defined on nickels and noses. Butts in the seat and money in the coffers. That's exploitation. At its, that's probably even worse because it's in the name of God, wouldn't you say? See, God wants to deal with internal corruption. Fasting is a beautiful way to do it, beloved. You can do it. We're going to do it together. And I'm going to give you lots of great tools today of things that you can do. But we want undo. How many of you are burdened with something? I'm going to raise my hand. Because I almost wonder, actually, if you're not burdened with something, then something, in my mind, something's probably wrong. The next is it frees the oppressed and it cancels debts. Think about debt cancellation. Let's talk about debt cancellation for a moment. What if you were in a position to cancel someone else's debt? What if somebody owed you a lot of money and God rocked you with perfect love, and he says, if you'll cancel that debt, I'll give you more. You know how many times God, I, I, I know the Lord's telling me to give money to somebody, and you know, in my mind, it's like, I'll give you 10 bucks. And the Lord's like, no, make it 20. Because perfect love always outgives. In fact, God says, it's like, man, you went a mile? Oh, congratulations, you went a mile. It's like, man, I did my mile. How, what in the, uh, look, I'm... 52, we built a great church, coffee shops. I just want to, why can't I just sell it all and retire? Here I come, island life, fishing. Every day when I drive here to Rock City Church, I drive by some of the best fishing holes in all of South, I drive down Laguna Shores. Some of the best wade fishing in the region. And I look over, I say, I'm driving to church. I'm looking at you. Driving a church. Man, I sure wish I was fishing. And the Lord says, You're going fishing. You're just going to a different fishing hole. Yeah! Woo! Appreciate that. But then check this out. What if what if debt, what if debts you owed got canceled? Supernaturally. What if somehow, and this can be in the natural and spiritual, debts you owe to other people, forgiveness, mercy, loving them, all that stuff, giving to them, I get that. But what, let's just talk about finances for a minute. What if God had a way to cancel massive amounts of medical debt, which he does, education debt, which he does, and I don't think it should be because of the president wiping out all your debt. I'm, I'm totally against that. It's like, oh, it feels so good. Listen, 
I'm still paying school loans for my wife just so that she got her master's degree from A&M. We've been married, we're going on our 12th year. But God has other ways and better ways. And if whether he does or he doesn't, the point is, is that God has this way of debt cancellation, letting the oppressed go free, breaking every false yoke. Verse seven, this is what the Lord's fast, what moves him, communion. You gotta see communion in this. Feeding the hungry, opening your home, giving of yourself and your resources, because it's both. You can go to the serve at the mission shelter, give your give uh, money here. You can do certain things, and you're not giving all of yourself. The point is, is I give all of myself. I serve, and I I serve with my time and my life, and I show up when I don't want to, and I keep giving, I keep loving, because love always goes further. It goes the second mile. So it's both. It's my home, my food, my resources, and my flesh. This is this is. The proper Christian life is that I'm going to love you with everything in me. Perfect love always gives and always outdoes. If you bring to your house the poor, they're going to come here. This is a home, and we must be the contrast. See, what if we were preparing ourselves for this incredible harvest of all these broken people that are going to come in? It's not even a what if because it is what we're doing. What if they were going to come to you? What if in the year of drought, your leaf stayed green and you said, here's my leaves. Come all those that are hungry. I have food to provide for you because I have deep roots. And in the year of drought, I get it. It's like, man, what happens if the dollar loses its value? What happens if gold and silver loses its value? What happens if the Fed comes in with a digital banking system to track all your money, which all that very well likely is what they want to do? but I'm not going to be afraid because I am planted by a river of living water. I'm, you are men and women planted by the streams of water whose leaves always produce fruit in the year of drought. Bring to the poor who are cast out. You lay your life down for others. Look, I, don't, I in general have a practice of not giving money out to homeless or transients. They're really transients more than anything than they are homeless standing on the street corner, passing through, coming down, looking for handouts. I'm way, I'm all, for 99.9% about the hand up instead of the handout. But you have to take care of the poor. So if you really want to take care of them, go to the Stripes, buy a 99 cent hot dog and get them a bottled water and give them some food so that when you give them money, they don't go off and pound, smack, get smashed with a 40 and then go smash your windows. They've done that here. But sometimes the Lord says, because he's the final authority with your money, not you. We had a homeless man come to church several Sundays ago. I put Jeff to the test because he didn't like this in his flesh. And we don't do this all the time, but we had a homeless man come on a Sunday morning and they come and they're always welcome to come here sat in the back, right off the streets, stunk like you wouldn't believe, sat through an entire message, came up to talk to me and just laid on me massive amounts of conspiracy theories and he was all over the place. <clears throat> I said, just stop, what, what do you need? Well, I really need a shower and I need, a, I need to get a room for the night. 
Now, listen, if I did that for, if I bought a hotel for everyone that needed a hotel room, we should just build a hotel next door. But we're not a hotel and we're not a bank. But I want you to understand, I spent your money. Because sometimes when the Lord says, and I'm, I'm not about toxic charity here, but the Lord's like, get him a room. I said to Jeff, oh, he, he bit his lip. It was, it was to the, I said, Jeff, get this man a room. And he needed a ride. <laughs> Jeff, as a good executive pastor, submitted to my leadership, said, okay. He trusted me. And I don't do that for everyone, but I do it sometimes. And it's way more than that. We're building a home for a family where the hurting and the broken and the outcasts can come. But I want to show you this last part here in this verse because it's so good. When you see the naked, cover him, but don't hide yourself. How many times do we cover other people while we hide? And then we justify. This is religious deception. I'm, look at what I'm doing for you, Lord. Oh, I performed. I, I did good, but what happens when you don't? And then we justify ourselves as in good standing with God because I covered the naked, but guess what? See, God doesn't give us any outs. That's nice and noble that you covered that naked person. What does it mean to cover them naked? Let me tell you what it means. It's both spiritual and natural. So the guy walks in, and the Bible specifically says in James what true religion is and says what not to do. So don't just say, oh, you're naked. Let me pray for you. Have a good day. Right? This is why we have Hector in pastoral care. This is why we are going to have resources where people can actually get some clothes. And we do need to help people to get some clothes. But at the same time, there's a spiritual nakedness. Remember when Adam and Eve ate from the tree? They were, they were naked before and everything was good. But as soon as my eyes were opened to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I looked at myself and I saw my nakedness and I saw that I was now uncovered, so I covered myself. That's the deceptive lie. But see, we need to cover people with Jesus and get their fig leaves off. Take off the fig leaf. God already sees you as you are. There's nothing hidden from the Lord. All things are open and naked before him. You don't have to hide anymore. Be honest and transparent before him. Live in the light as he's in the light. Cover those, but guess what? Don't hide yourself. You can run, but you can't hide. God has a way. Next I want to throw in making your family a priority because your home, if you can't take care of your house, how can you take care of God's house? It's in the Bible. You want to work for God? You want to serve God while your marriage and your family and your homes are wrecked? Let's get yourself healthy so that you can take care of other people. Verse 8. Now, verses 8 through 12 are going to show us the incredible outcomes and the result. Now we're focusing on what happens when we fast properly, all right? This is what happens. Number one, 
your light breaks forth like the morning dawn. The light switch turns on. Any place in your light life that is dim and dark, God turns to light like the morning dawn. My son tends to get up early, and every morning, as soon as we get out, we walk out onto our porch, and we watch the sunrise. There's some trees and a couple buildings out in front across the street, so I don't get full view of it, but enough where it comes through or just above the trees, and we just enjoy the sunrise. We let that natural morning light get into our eyes, which is very good for you, by the way. And so that morning dawn, that morning light, the freshness and the newness of every day, what does that mean to you? What does the sunrise mean to you? He says, I'm going to put the sunrise in your life. Now you're going to shine right. Now where you've been broke, busted, disgusted, and depressed, you're going to be a bright, beautiful, shining star or like the morning star, the, the sunrise comes into your life. The sun rises like the bridegroom coming out of his chamber. The sun's going to rise on your life. Yeah. Woo. Next is physical and spiritual healing. Healing and recovery springs forth speedily. I want you to notice the word speedily. Speedily. You recover and you heal. Your healing comes. What kind of healing do you need in your life? Mental? Are you struggling with mental health, anxiety, depression, worry, doubt, fear, confusion? That, God wants to heal that. Physical ailments. Do you know if you actually study out just from a scientific standpoint, the benefits, a medical standpoint of the benefits of fasting, how it restores cells and restores your body and brings healing to you physically? Next, your righteousness goes before you preparing a way. He leads you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, Psalm 23.3. I love that. What does it mean to be led in a path of righteousness? So I'm led on a road, and if any unrighteousness comes in, he shows it to me and he removes it. You may say, hey, there's no unrighteousness in me now. You're righteous because of Christ's blood, but righteous position requires righteous living. But if I'm on a path and I get sideways because he's leading me, he deals with it along the way. So I don't have to worry about, he literally takes care of me in the future because he's leading me in a path of righteousness. Righteousness goes before me, but check this next part out. The Lord becomes your rear guard. The glory of God becomes your rear guard. Let's say this together. Say, God has my back. And some of you were raised in an orphan mindset. That's why there's so many people in gangs and so many people in prison because they have this orphan mindset in their life. It's not even just people in prison. People could be sitting in church and living like orphans. So you were raised, oh, I got to, if I don't watch my back, if I don't get mine, if I don't protect myself, no one else will. But this is what's awesome about this. He literally covers you in your journey. He's got your front and he's got your back. Say, let's say it again. God's got my back. He secures your passage. I don't know what's coming up in front of us, but God's going to secure my passage. I don't know what's going to happen with my business in Rock City, but he secures my passage. I don't know what's going to happen with the economy, but he secures my passage. I don't know what's going to happen with my health, but he secures my passage. I don't know what's going to happen with friendships and coworkers in my job, but he secures, do you see it? He's in front of you. And he's behind you where you can't see. 
I can't see my back, but God can. Then you stop looking over your shoulder all the time in fear. Verse 9, you will call and he will say, here I am. You will call and he will say, here I am. But there's a prerequisite, again, as long as you take away the yoke and the pointing of the finger. What is the pointing of the finger? And the yoke, unfair practices, blaming others, and gossiping about others' people's sins. Did you see what Ashria did? Did you see? Did you hear about what Lacey did? Did you hear about Ram? Oh, my gosh. Erica? Dawn? Tom? David? Take away the pointing of the finger and the blaming and get the gossip out of your life. You will always have something to gossip about. And no, we're not. Who was it that's saying, let's get Reba McIntyre? Let's give him something to talk about. I'm not going to, I'll give you something to talk about, but you should stop talking. And if they're going to, if you're going to talk, what should you say? Man, they're a child of God. I love them. We all got our stuff to work out. Let's stop blaming and pointing fingers. And fasting has this way of doing that. Verse 10, if we continue to extend our souls, oh man, think about extending your soul. Think about an extension. It means it goes beyond me. What's your soul? It's your mind, your will, and your emotions. Because I, I literally at times lose sleep over issues that happen in this church. But that's because I'm extending my soul because I love and I care. And I almost wonder to some degree if you're not losing sleep and it's not a weight and it's not a burden, what is going on? Because you're not feeling it. It's hard. Yeah, I get it. Ministry's hard. But God will give you the grace so that you don't just focus on yourself and me, myself, and I, and my, and my awesome land, and all my animals, and my little baby, five baby goats, and chicks, and kittens, and all this stuff. I'm like, man, I'm just going to change my last name to McDonald. <laughs> but don't you dare call me old McDonald. <laughs> and yes, I do have a farm. I thought that was funny. You didn't even laugh at that. Wow. <laughs> old McDonald. David McDonald had a, maybe we'll just call me Noah and when the, the flood can just come and I'll pack up all my animals. You got to continue to extend your souls to the hungry by being generous with your time and resources. Let's say time and resources. All of us serve and all of us give. No one is exempt. We all give of our time, our talents, our energy, and our resources all together. And fasting has this way of getting you off being so self-centered. And again, then your light will dawn in the darkness, and the darkness becomes like noonday around you. And what does that mean? Noonday, dark, noonday darkness or noonday light is no shadow. There's no shadow in my life. Why? Because I'm only looking at the sun at noonday and every darkness gets removed. There's no more shadow because shadow actually is darkness of the sun not hitting there. And you say, well, how did the shadow heal people in the book of Acts, Peter's shadow and unusual miracles? Because it was God's shadow who's shadowing you. So the Lord leads and guides us it's like, be a glow-in-the-dark Christian. 
Glow in the dark. Verse 11, the Lord leads and guides us continuously by showing us where to go. How many of you want to be led by God in everything that you do? He satisfies your soul in drought by filling the emptiest of places. It's possible you have some drought areas of your heart. It's possible that we have calloused areas in our heart. It's possible that there's voided areas in our heart. And it says literally here that God satisfies your, because your heart is your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. So any place that I'm off or lacking, God satisfies my soul and fills it. And he strengthens your bones. That's physical strength to your body. And I love this so much. You shall be like a watered garden. This is for my wife. I know the Lord wrote this for my wife. She loves her garden. He wrote this for anybody that loves gardens. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Man, my wife's garden, I'm brag about it for a minute. She's been growing edible flowers. We've started putting it in our bread. She put it in homemade salsa yesterday. And it was amazing. It was this flowery, spicy salsa like I'd never had before. My mouth is watering. I could drink it. And finally, I'm going to close with this, verse 12. This is one of my favorite parts of this whole chapter. This is one of the greatest outcomes and results when we fast properly. Oh, man, this is so good. Those from among us. Here's how I wrote it. Ruined old waste places and the people that come from them will become our building materials. Burnt stones turn into living stones. Our redeemed, those coming out of addiction in recovery, become the future builders of the church. How about you and your issues? See, your problems today are your ministry tomorrow if you'll respond right. So look at it. You got any waste places in your life? Guess what? God will build them up. You'll raise up the foundations of many generations because the future, found, future generations need foundations. Future generations need foundations to stand on. Foundations that aren't cracked. Foundations that aren't broken. If you build a two-story house on a cracked foundation in Corpus Christi or in the town that you live in, over the years of storms and droughts that beat on your house, floods, all kinds of things beat on your house. What happens if it's a hairline fracture in the foundation? The pressure of the house over the course of time, coupled with the elements, will ultimately create a greater crack and that foundation will crumble. We got to repair the foundations and look what the Lord says. You'll be called repairs of broken foundations or repairs of the breach. There's been a breach. What's a breach? It's a distance or a gap that God says you repair it in other people's life. But we got to first repair it in your life. You got to fix the foundation of your heart so that we can properly fix it in somebody else's life. Remember the picking the speck out of your brother's eye and the Lord's like, get the log out of yours. And, but then he says, once you get the log out, then you can help your brother get the speck out of theirs. You'll be called a repair of the breach. Let's say this, say, Lord, call me a repairer 
of the breach. Make me, a re- if you're a man, say repair man. If you're a man, you know who you are. Repair man, women say repair woman. And then finally, the restore of the streets to dwell in. What does that mean? It means we build new streets and we restore them and we build communities. Rock City, your local church should be a community. And wherever you're at, you should be all in there. Stop hopping churches. Stop going to five different churches. Stop going to everybody else's group. Go to a house fire, get all in, and give your life to repair and restore. This is the problem. You can't give a little here, a little there, a little here, a little there. God puts you in communities and families so that you can build together with people that know you, love you, correct you, and measure you. You're not an incognito gypsy Christian. You're not a lone ranger. We find families and we build houses and we build cities and we repair breaches and we literally create places where people can do what? Dwell. We build healthy homes and healthy houses for people. All right. Here's who we're going to pray for. We're going to pray for those of you that have unhealthy yokes. I think that's one thing I said that may have made you think. We're going to pray for those of you that have never fasted. You need to ask for the grace grace to fast. In fact, let's pull up this slideshow real quick. I want to show you a couple things about the fast that's coming up. Go to the next slide. These are all the Old Testament scriptures on fasting. Today, we, and I created this, uh, Isaiah 58 is the one that we focused on today, but there's a lot of Old Testament scriptures on fasting. We will send this out to all the house fire groups. Next slide. These are the New Testament fasting scriptures. Here's all the reasons to fast. I think God's given us a lot of reasons. These are all the reasons why people fasted in the Bible. I want you to notice standing in the gap. Standing in the gap is true intercession with your life. There's a gap. I'm going to fill it for you so that God can bring healing to your life. I also want to let you guys know that the International House of Prayer, which I listen to every day and love, I'm so thankful for Mike Bickle and IHOP. They have, I don't know, a billion souls a billion people praying all at one time during a fast. I know that sounds like a lot, but, it, but they have more churches all over the world fasting for the next 21 days for Israel. It starts tomorrow on the 7th and goes for 21 days. Now we're doing a one-week fast in the middle of it, but I want to ask you guys to consider fasting the whole time. Um, and we need to pray for Israel. We need to fast and pray for Israel, all right? So these are all the reasons to fast. Next slide. Types of fasting. I want to hit this because some of you have never fasted and you're not sure how to fast. So let's talk about them. Number one, you can do an absolute fast, which I do not recommend. And if you do an absolute fast, I would not recommend it for more than three days. Absolute fast is no food or water. Then we go to what would be considered a typical or regular fast, which is water only. Now, some people go straight cold turkey and they just go right to water. Some people, this is what I like to do, I ease my way into it. So I already know it's coming, so I'll start reducing my meals, I'll start weaning off caffeine, which is probably the hardest for some of you. But for some of you, if I could just get you off social media and entertainment, or your phones, what if you need to fast your phone? So you got 
the regular fast, which is water only. You have the Daniel fast, plant-based only. And then you have a partial or modified fast. A partial or modified fast can be various liquids only, no media, no meat, no sweets, no caffeine. So I want you to pray and ask God, here's some additional benefits of fasting, which uh, you guys can see those. Let's go to the next slide. What do you do? You pray about it. Ask the Lord. You cut soulish, selfish desires from your life. And in turn, you're not just giving something up, you're replacing it. So I want to encourage you, take time to worship and pray. Spend time in the Word, but don't just do it from a performance standpoint. Read, read a good book. Focus on, you know, some of you haven't read a book in years because you got your phones. Read a good book and attend our services. We're going to have prayer here every day at noon for the whole week. Now, this starts uh, right after Mother's Day, which I'll show you. And ask for grace. You can only fast with grace. Ask God to give you the grace to do it. What if your fast was joyous and amazing? What if it wasn't that hard? What if you got over your caffeine headache in one day? What if you got more energy than you had before? And then I want to show you this. Work together with your spouse and family as a team. And slow down your busy schedule to the best of your ability. Cancel meetings, dinners, parties, events, engagements, movie nights, etc. And then next slide. Here's what not to do. Boast. Please don't boast about the fast. Next, don't allow yourself and your countenance to be downcast. You're not self-afflicting yourself. Don't be legalistic. Some of you, like Beach to Bay, is on the Saturday of our fast. Some of you are running Beach to Bay. Some of you have anniversary it's happening or a birthday that's happening or a special event or a dinner party that you, if you can't cancel it, don't be legalistic. Do your best. If you, and you know, it's like some, it's like, man, I fasted three hours in a seven day fast. I can't do it anymore. Where is my Dr. Pepper? I don't know what you're going to fast. Hopefully you're not drinking Dr. Pepper's. But the point is, is I don't want you to be legalistic about it. Try if you fall or you mess up, get back on it. You know, you can also fast one meal a day. You could fast sunrise to sunset. You could fast two meals a day and eat dinner. There's all kinds of things that you can do, but you need to ask the Lord what he wants you to do. And I want you to take it seriously and don't minimize its importance and don't give up. I know some of you work laborious jobs. You work in the construction field or you work jobs where it's just almost near impossible to not eat. Just try. I also know that for some of you, you're on medication. And if you take the medication on an empty stomach or you're fasting, look, ask God to show you how you can do it, but do it and make it a priority. All right? And then finally, let's go two slides from here. It's a seven-day fast, May 15th to the 21st. Start easy and build up as you go and finish strong. Don't break your fast at Kiko's. I don't know where you like to go for Mexican food, but I'm just telling you, don't go hard and then break your fast with, with food. That's just going to destroy you. Don't be legalistic. Do your best. And then come every day. We're going to have prayer at noon here. Uh, it says morning, but it'll be at noon. All right, well, here's what we're going to pray for. Let's all stand. I hope you all were inspired to consider fasting and to fast with us.
I really do can do it. I want to pray for those of you that have had heavy yokes or have felt oppressed. I want to pray for those of you that have literally felt that God is far and distant. I want to pray for those of you that have been going through the religious motions and you're wondering, God, where are you? I want to break out any pretension in your life. And, if, and I want you to be honest with yourself. I want to pray for those of you that don't know Jesus or maybe you're, you're lackluster, you backslid. If you don't know the Lord, we want to pray for you. If you've walked away, we want to pray for you. If there's hidden areas of the heart that you know are there, we want to pray for you. Or if you just need prayer for healing, we want to pray for you, all right? So let me ask my prayer partners and my ministry team to come up. All right. If you'd like somebody to pray for you, please make your way up to the front. If any of those things are going on in your life or you're struggling, you're hurting, or you just need somebody to stand with you, I want to ask you to come up. Just come up and let somebody pray for you. Struggling in your home, your marriage, your life, addiction, whatever it is, let, let somebody stand with you this morning. Angry, mad, issues in your heart, family, you want to pray for a family member? Maybe you have somebody that's not walking with the Lord. Come up and let somebody agree with you where two or more come together as to touching anything in Jesus' name, you'll have what you ask for. Maybe your flesh has been out of control and you need somebody to stand with you. Maybe you feel alone. Come on up. Let somebody pray with you today. I'm gonna pray for you and dismiss you. I love you all so much. Mother's Day next week. We're gonna celebrate moms. And we're just going to keep going full speed ahead. Lord, I just thank you so much for this church. I thank you, God, for today. Let us hear your voice. Let us be honorable and integrous in everything we do. Show us the areas of our life you want to deal with. and Let us be honest. We don't want to hide, Lord. We don't want to hide, God. Please, Lord, have mercy. Just tell them, Lord, have mercy. Any area of my life that you want to deal with, deal with it. Just listen. Lord, prepare our hearts. We rend our hearts, God. Forgive us for external performance. <laughs>